Hello and welcome to the Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm podcast. This is Lee. I am so glad you've joined me. This is a newly recorded introduction to the very first episode I did back in February of 19. I went back and did a little sound correction because that was the very first podcast I had ever recorded. So there were some issues, but I'm leaving it and you'll hear it shortly because I want you to be able to start back with me from the beginning if you want to. If you are joining for the first time and you are a brand new beekeeper, I want to let you know that in January of 2020, the episodes right around episode 49 or 50, I believe, um, is the beginning of Bee School Radio, a series of podcasts for the absolute beginner. But if you want to start back at the beginning where I did, without further ado, here's the very first episode of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. Welcome. Hello, and welcome to the Beekeeping Podcast at Five Apple Farm. My name is Lee Knott, and this is my first podcast, so it's going to be rough, but I love podcasts. I'm very inspired by one of my favorites, the Beekeeper's Corner, and I just love to talk bees. So I thought, well, let me try to do a podcast. I've been keeping bees um, since about 2010. I started out uh, a friend of mine who was a beekeeper. I asked if I could be there when she worked the hives because I was just interested. And I'll never forget the first time she opened the lid of that hive and I smelled that incredible smell of flowers and beeswax and just the incredible smell, which turns out to be a lot. Propolis is one of my favorite smells. Um, I was hooked, and so I have been somewhat obsessed by uh, beekeeping ever since. And so today I just want to talk to the new beekeepers. Um, I know it's February, and a lot of people are just starting or completing their first bee school. I remember very clearly packing into an absolutely freezing um, auditorium. It was like where they had Uh, horse shows in Northwest Arkansas when I lived there um, with a ton of people uh, to do bee school. And it was just this giant pile of facts and figures and dates. And, you know, uh, the egg is three days and the larva is this many days. And it was, I didn't understand how that would all fit together, but I just rolled with it because I felt like I needed to do bee school, and it is important, and I would highly recommend it. Just to gives you the overview of everything that you're going to have to learn later, because <laughs> they're going to tell you, but it's not going to make a lot of sense um, completely, or it won't make nearly as much sense as it's going to make years later. But um, so I want to say congratulations to all of you about to start bee school or finishing up bee school. You are about to start the most um, challenging, lovely, frustrating, magical, baffling, fascinating hobby ever. Um, I can't recommend it highly enough. That said, I think there's not a lot of people who have the, the guts and the stick to to stick with bees. It's not easy. Um... I mean, if somebody says, oh, yeah, it's easy that they haven't been doing it long. Um, In my years of beekeeping, I had many great years. I felt very lucky and I knew I was lucky and I did not take credit for that. 
Um, and it turns out it's a good thing because, you know, a few years later you have a catastrophic winter and you reassess everything you've been doing to try to figure out if what you were doing was making a difference or uh, was it not or was it helping or is it hurting? Beekeeping is something that will keep your mind engaged, I think, for the rest of your life. Like I said, I've been doing it since about 2010. This is 2019. Um, and at the bee, at the local bee club where I attend, which is Tokane Beekeepers Club, it's in Yancey County of, in the mountains of Western North Carolina. At, I remember there's a, a beekeeper who came to a meeting not so long ago. He had to, he's in his early nineties and he said at our, um, late winter first meeting, he said, I've been keeping bees for 60 years. And every time I go out into the bee yard, I see something new. And that is the beauty of beekeeping. And that's what's going to keep you, if you're called to do this, that is what is going to keep you doing it. I just wanted to start off my first podcast. And like I said, who knows where this will go, but I just wanted to try it with um, some some tips. Um, and they're not so much technical tips. I'll get into that later, but more psychological tips of what you're, the, the mission, if you choose to accept it. Um, first of all, when you're sitting in that B class, completely overwhelmed with all the stuff you're hearing and somebody asks a question and then three beekeepers answer it and they all give different answers and you're just completely overwhelmed. That is, that is completely normal. Um, beekeeping, learning beekeeping Um, I've heard it said it's a steep learning curve. There's like a ton of variables and techniques and words and to learn on the front end and just keep on plowing because, um, one day all these, not everything, but a lot of things are going to fall into place. And then I would say that happens at about year five. And then every year after that, more and more things to fall into place, like, a. I've, I mean, there's, there's just moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, all these years I've thought I understood that. And then now I understand it in a whole different level. So in my experience, beekeeping is definitely a marathon, not a sprint. Um, you know, don't get sucked into magical thinking that, um, that if you're just one with your bees, that everything is going to be okay. And the other end, don't get sucked into thinking that if you just know all the facts and figures, you're going to get it exactly right. Because as I've heard it said, bees will humble you. You can think you figured out some things and then they humble you and remind you that there's so much more in play than the simple little things that we understand about bees. I'll tell you, there was a guy who inspired me before, a couple of years before I um, started getting interested in bees, I met a fellow uh, in Kentucky and it, it's a long story, but we were having this conversation and he's, he's made the comment. He said, well, you know, that year was the year I apprenticed myself to bees. And I, I'm like, what, you know, what are you a beekeeper? He's like, no, no, no. That's, and it turned out that this fella had a, a practice in his life that every year, he would apprentice himself, as he called it, to to some something natural. It might be a type of tree or uh, that year it was bees. 
And so he said that he had noticed some hives at the backside of a cemetery. I think he lived in Nashville. Um, And so he was so drawn to them and watching the bees come and go, and he decided to apprentice himself to bees. So on his off days, he would just go and kind of hang out near these hives. And eventually a beekeeper showed up and he said to the guy, you know, I've been watching the bees. Um, Could I uh, tag along while you take care of them and learn some stuff about bees? And you will find if you show up with sincerity and maybe a little willing to work and, you know, a picnic lunch doesn't hurt uh, to somebody who you are asking to mentor Um, most beekeepers love bees and love to talk about bees and, um, and, and we'll talk to you. So they did. And so he spent a year. And so the conversation he was just telling me about, you know, how utterly fascinating bees are and how much they moved him and influenced his life, even though he wasn't a beekeeper. So I found it a handy concept, um, in beekeeping, particularly when I'm overwhelmed or just feel like something has gone wrong to remind myself that I am apprenticed to the bees for the long haul. It's going to be, I hope to, I'm 50 something, and I hope to spend the rest of my life uh, working with bees. I have a day job, so I try not to let that get in the way. But, um, and so when something goes wrong, it's not a sign to quit. Um, It's not even always a sign that I did something wrong. Sometimes it is. But, it's just, this is, that's a part of learning. That's going to be a part of learning. Um, no real actual beekeeper with experience is going to tell you, yeah, I did everything by the book and it all worked out because <laughs> you can sometimes do everything by the book and it does not work. On the other hand, don't kid yourself that there's not a book. Um, and by that, I mean, there are some rules in beekeeping that if you break them, you'll get humbled, period. End of story. Um, And so (laughs) there's just so much to say, but I want to say bravo and congratulations about apprenticing yourself to bees. It is going to be an exciting, rewarding journey. Um, It is a sense of purpose to work with the bees like nothing else that um, I've ever felt. I'm a nurse in my day job, so that's a pretty meaningful endeavor, but bees are something special. Uh, to me. One thing I would say is to challenge yourself. Um, Now, at first, you're just going to be, you're going to be doing a lot of reading. Uh, I really encourage you to do the reading, do the study in whatever form you like. You know, if you don't, if you like to read, then read. If you like to read blog posts, then read blog posts. If you like to watch YouTubes, then watch YouTubes. But whatever, however it is that you enjoy learning, um, or podcasts. I love podcasts and have found a lot of handy podcasts, which I'll tell you about some of those later. Um, really plan on a lot of learning because like I said, there, uh, some other beekeepers and I were talking the other day and we were joking about how much like beekeeping is like the old Rubik's cubes that if you change any one panel, any one side, then you change all the sides. And there are so many variables in beekeeping. And that's one of the reasons why it's hard to teach beekeeping is because um, I've, I've heard a joke about that the answer to everything in beekeeping is it depends. And that's really true. I mean, it it 
it all depends. Um, it depends on the bees. It depends on how strong they are. It depends on how populous they are in the hive. It depends on the season of the year. And that's something I would challenge you. First of all, be prepared. Do not be daunted by the it depends because you're going to crave, or at least I craved a recipe, you know, do A, B, and C, and it's going to work out. Well, this has been a great learning experience about how to do things without a recipe. Um, you have the recipe, you know the recipe, you you know the pots and pans involved, you know the ingredients and all that, um, but still sometimes the cake doesn't rise, you know. So, um, I'm, I'm a much better beekeeper than a cook, so I should probably limit myself on the cooking metaphors. But uh, anyway, read a lot, study, and also give yourself the kindness in the room. Um, when you feel overwhelmed, just tell yourself, I feel overwhelmed. This is normal. This is normal. This is the learning curve. This means I'm pushing my boundaries on what I can learn about these bees. And that's, that's where you should be. If you'll stay there and not get settled, not settle and think, oh, okay, I know enough. The, the, the more curious, if you can stay curious for the long haul, you will be a great beekeeper. And I believe in you already. I look forward to having you as collaborators in this challenging endeavor of beekeeping nowadays. Um, that said, I would advise you to watch out for black and white thinkers. These are the people that, I mean, you'll run across them online and sometimes in person and they'll be like, oh, this, this is just the way it has to be done. Or this is the hive to have and all the other, ha other kinds of hives are bad. Or this is the kind of bee to have, or this is the kind of equipment to use, or this is the kind of protective gear to wear. Um, anytime you hear somebody that is really black and white and really adamant that it can only be done this way, consider that a flag of inexperience. Because after you've done this for many years, you know that there's any given thing, there's 10 ways to do it. You know, there's 10 kinds of hives. Um, you know, most people, the, the classic version in the United States is the Langstroth hive, the square hive, 10 frame. Um, I use Langstroth eight frame mediums. Um, that's a little unusual, but it's getting less unusual as more people see the benefit. Um, but you know, it's the classic square hive. There's war a hives, there's top bar hives, there's all kinds of hives. And there's, and there's no one that's radically better than the other. It, it just, it depends on what your goals are and how many hives you want to do and what you want to do with them. You know, are you moving them around? Are you harvesting honey? Are you, you know, it just, it depends. Um, but anybody who says, oh, this is the, you know, this type of hive is bad and this type of hive is good. You know, there's nothing bad about the Langstroth hive. Um, it's just a square hive that mimics the inside of a tree, except it's square and it's really flat and it's bigger than most trees. Um, there's upsides to it and there's downsides to it. And I'd say that's true of every hive. So don't get hung up on any one of those things. I mean, any, all of the factors, you know, the size of hive, the kind of hive, the kind of tools, the kind of protective gear, 
It turns out all, the, all of that is a personal preference and a personal choice. There's no magic in any of those. There's no righteousness in any one particular kind. So give yourself a few years uh, to figure out what you like and what you enjoy using because what you enjoy using is what you're more likely to use and um, that's what's going to matter. For example, if uh, 10 frame Langstress, if that is really too heavy for you to lift and that means you're going to avoid going out and working in your beehives, then that's not the hive for you. That's going to keep you from developing the skills that you want to develop. You know, I'm kind of an old nurse and with a not so good back. So I went with the um, eight frame Langstress, which are a little bit smaller. Um, I really like them. The bees seem to like them. Um, and then I went with all mediums. Now, this is something I would actually uh, encourage you to consider. And that is whatever size box you go with, um, go with all the same size. So, for example, if you are using a, um, a top bar hive and it, you know, the bars are so many inches, then make all the bars and all the hives that many inches, because then you can change them around. Um, in my Langstroth hives, I use all mediums and what that, you know, the more, um, typical old fashioned setup is like a, a deep brood box and then a medium or a shallow super for honey and this type of thing. There's pretty much absolutely no reason um, to have boxes of different sizes. Uh, now, you do not want to be trying to harvest your honey out of a deep box um, because it's going to be, you know, a, a, I mean, you're looking at 90 pounds or something of a, of a full deep Langstroth 10 frame. Um, and I don't care how strong you are now, you're not going to be that strong always. And um, it's just not good for you. I'm a nurse. I can tell you that for real to lift that kind of weight. So um, pick something that's comfortable for you, but I would encourage you to pick something that's all the same size. Um, mediums are, uh, you know, deeps are difficult to do all the same size if you're messing with honey because they're so heavy. Uh, shallows are kind of impractical just because they have a ton of boxes. And um, mediums are medium. And so they're, they're kind of nice that way. So um, the other thing I would encourage you to do is really get to know your region. Wherever you're located, uh, beekeeping is truly local. And there are things that are going to be true of where you are that are not going to be true of where I am. I am in the Appalachians in the Blue Ridge at 3,000 feet. Um, you know, our season is shorter than folks one county over who are um, at about a thousand feet. I'll give you an example. I'm a, I was talking to a beekeeper down in Marion, North Carolina. This is February, I don't know, 20th or so. And um, there, this fella is already seeing drone brood. Well, if I opened my hives right now, which I can't because we've got snow and ice on the ground, um, I would not be seeing drone brood. Uh, that's a, you know, drone brood. Those are the boys of summer and, um, they start them early, but they're not happening up here. Now, a handy thing is, um, one of my mentors in the Tocane club, uh, Joe Caps. he is an expert on when things happen in Yancey County. Um, he's good enough to send us out the occasional email about when he sees maple blooming or, uh, when he sees sourwood blooming, he'll, you know, he'll remind us when things are doing. And he literally off the top of his head 
can name the the week of the month every year that these things typically happen. And of course, you know, with our weather these days, it's plus or minus a couple of weeks. Um, and so Joe has let me know that um, uh, there's a formula, which of course I can't remember, about now since we're up in the mountains, about how long essentially spring takes to walk up the mountain, if you will. And But what I've noticed is like Marion, um, which is real close to where I live, uh, except for the elevation, they're about at least 10 days to two weeks ahead of us here in uh, at 3,000 feet in South Tobe. So when I see my beekeeping friends on Facebook say, oh, I'm seeing drone brood, you know, in my mind, um, I think, oh, okay, in two weeks, I'm going to need to be ready for that. So it's really pretty handy to befriend someone that's in a place that's about two weeks warmer than you, because if you're like me, you need a head start to pull yourself together. So that's a kind of handy thing. But find out um, from the old timers in your beekeeping club. And even though you might not agree on anything, you might not agree on the type of hive or why to keep bees or whether to use chemicals or not, or you may not agree on anything. But those old fellas, and they're, they're usually fellas, um, they will know the timing of your region. And that is critical information. Um, and later on, you can really develop some finesse by knowing the exact week, typically, that things happen, um, like maple bloom or, in my area, sourwood bloom. So befriend some of those really experienced beekeepers that have been keeping bees in your area for a long time. And you don't have to agree on anything, but um, learn the seasonal timing from them. Um I think I mentioned earlier about bees will humble you, and I would encourage you to stay humble. I saw a funny thing on Facebook the other day. It was a little graph, and it was um, it was like the confidence curve of beekeeping. And basically, it was a graph, and it just soared up very high at year two. So if you've had a good first winter, year two, you feel like, oh, wow, okay, I'm getting this. And then the confidence level plummets to the bottom because, you know, something goes wrong. And then a few years later, it kind of levels out. And like I said, again, it is it is something for the long haul. The moment you say, okay, I've got beekeeping down, just consider that a flag that you have walked into your blind spot because none of us have beekeeping down. Nobody gets it right every year. Um, that's something that I realize, you know, there's a lot of uh, back and forth about treatments and non-treatments or types of treatments or types of chemicals, etc. And what I notice is that, you know, some years the treatment beef, treatment-free beekeepers lose everything or lose everything but one. And then some years, like this year, I know a very experienced uh, bee, uh, conventional beekeeper uses the full treatments. I mean, treats religiously and on a schedule and who lost um, all their hives except one um, out of about 30 or 40. And so, you know, there's a lot of variables, a lot of challenges to beekeeping. And um, I would encourage you to stay humble and stick with the bees. It's not about our personalities or our egos. It's about being there for the bees and being a good 
um, team member, if you would, you know, for with with the bees. You collaborate with the bees. You do not, you know, beekeepers a kind of funny term. We don't keep the bees. Um, we kind of agree to a dance with the bees. <laughs> and um, okay, so so keep your humility, and and I will tell you, you're, you'll be a lot easier to be around. <laughs> um. So one thing I want to to leave you with uh, today is I've encouraged you before to to read and study and uh, watch videos, but part of the challenge is finding material that you can trust because there's a lot of just wacky people um, on the internet. I, I know this won't come as a surprise, but I'm just amazed at the people who set up YouTube channels and set up blogs and all this. And because I happen to know them personally or because I've read their blogs, you know, they've been doing it a year or two. And most of what they're saying is is from a book, which is fine, but it's different than experience. Um, and so I want to turn you on to a blog online. It is called Honeybee Sweet. H-O-N-E-Y-B-E-E-S-U-I-T-E, Honeybee Sweet, S-U-I-T-E dot com. And the lady's name is Rusty. Uh, she is a biologist, and she's also a good beekeeper. Everything that I've, her, her blog and the information she shares, it's just solid. It's backed up with sources. Um, she's very interactive with her, with people. I, you just can't go wrong on um, her site on Honeybee Sweet. So for beginners, I would recommend it. Um, you know, if if someone's saying, "Oh, you need to do a such and such split," look up that such and such split um, on Honeybee Sweet, and she'll tell you how to do it, and also the pros and the cons, and then some alternatives. And um, I highly recommend that. And every um, every uh, podcast that I do, I hope to share resources with you because if you're like me, you you can't get enough about hearing and reading about bees. And so um, I want you to find good things that will steer you in the right direction. So I'm going to close this out. Um, my first just ad lib uh, freestyle podcast and um, new beekeepers, welcome, welcome. Intermediate beekeepers, um, I'll be talking more about um, uh, some of the nuts and bolts things for beekeepers a few years in uh, that to try and to experiment with. I'm very um, enthusiastic about sustainable beekeeping, which uh, I define sustainable beekeeping as not having to buy replacement bees. Um, I haven't had to buy replacement bees since 2011 when when I uh, started with my first actual bees of my own and that to me that's my level of success I've had good years actually I've had a lot of good years and then I've had a few really really bad years and um, I'm very much into uh, I live way out in the country so I have the opportunity to work on uh, attempting to raise lines of local bees that are a little more disease resistant and at the same time localized. Um, and so I'm going to talk a lot about that later about sustainable beekeeping. Actually how this podcast got started is I was preparing a class for this Saturday at Honey in the Hive, which is our local bee shop in Weaverville, North Carolina. Uh, I'll be teaching 
um, the sustainable bee yard, and that's basically the technique of working with nucleus colonies um, to ha have in your yard and to use as a tool that will help you never have to buy packaged bees again. Sometimes when you start, there's nowhere to start except packaged bees or uh, a nucleus colony purchased from another state, probably more southern than wherever you are. Um, and most of us can't help but start there. But if you can just learn to keep your bees alive and to work them well, then you've got options of, uh, of looking into some different queen lines that, that may um, be better for your area. All right, I'll wrap it up tonight. This is Lee Knott, and thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. Have a great day.